Good morning, family and friends. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm so honored to welcome you into our virtual worship experience. I'm Stephen Brown, lead pastor of Greater Bethlehem. And listen, we've been praying for you and for this very moment. Our praise and worship team set the atmosphere. Now it is time for the word of God. On today, we are celebrating Dallas Day of Unity and Justice. Dallas Day of Unity and Justice. This endeavor is sponsored by One Dallas and Dallas Clergy. And essentially, you have pastors all over the Dallas-Fort Worth area preaching from the same passage with the same themes. Justice and unity. And I simply ask you to pray with me as we prepare to go into this time of the teach word. Uh, Pastor Pierce has challenged you to go ahead and start a watch party. I'm going to tell you to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, call somebody on our phone stream line, three-way call them in, let them know you love them, and tell them we are live now with GBBC and the word of God. We're coming again from the book of Micah, chapter 6. Pastor Sonja read that for us. We're going to read it again. I'm simply going to read verses 8. I was going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 8, and who knows, I may get back into it. You know what? I'm going rogue. I'm going to read all eight verses. Amen. I'm not going to preach that long. You can bear with me here. Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Those that have found it say, I've got it. Go and type it in the comment sign. Say, I got it. I'm with you, Doc. I'm with you, Doc. Come on. I'm with you, Pastor. All right. Here is the word of the Lord. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise. Plead your case before the mountains. And let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring fountains, foundations rather, of the earth. Because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you, or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. What should I bring before the Lord? When I come to bow before God on high, should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body, for my own sin? Verse 8 is crucial. Mankind. He has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Wow. I want to put a tag on this text. I want to preach from the subject, the good life. Come on, come on, go with me. Come, go, go with me, church. Somebody say, the good life. Come on, say it right where you are. Type it or say it. It's all good. The good life. Heads about, eyes are closed. Father, we approach this moment with, with all seriousness and humility. Fathers, we gather together across this city 
as a form of unity within the body of Christ. And Father, I pray that you would be in the midst of this moment. Father, these have been very difficult days as it relates to justice and equity, as it relates to unity inside and outside of your church. So Father, I pray that you would be in the midst of us now. Father, I ask that you would take this feeble presentation that I have and that you would breathe upon it, that you would bless it, and that it would glorify your holy and righteous name. Father, show us what it looks like to live the good life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let everyone say amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much, musicians. The good life. Here's the big idea for our message for today. Justice work is everyone's job. Justice work is everyone's job. God has a problem with his people. The prophet Micah catalogs and chronicles said problem with three bold oracles from God to his people. Today's passage is the third oracle in which God commands order in the court. He summons the witnesses of the mountains, the, the hills, and the foundations of the earth, for they have witnessed firsthand the betrayal and amnesia of God's people. God's people. Those to whom he has chosen, blessed, delivered, and protected God's people. They have grown cold towards God because they have believed the lies of those nations around them. These people, God's people, the people of Israel, had experienced firsthand oppression and persecution. They had been mistreated for no other reason but the favor of God. God heard, God responded, and God delivered. And then God watched as the delivered became oppressors. Oh, I feel that by myself. God, God watched as the formerly oppressed turned on others by withholding mercy. God has a problem with his people. So God, in essence, declares, tell me what I didn't do, says the Lord. How have I not heard you? How have I not interceded for you? How have I not provided for you all by loving you? God says, tell me what I didn't do. Verse 3 says, my people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? testify against me. And then with profound eloquence, God, through his mouthpiece Micah, uses their own history to testify. 
Oh, God, I'm preaching up in here. Look at verse 4. He says, indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people remember King Balak, what King Balak of Moab proposed, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. It is amazing. How quickly folks forget the goodness of God. The moment we set foot in freedom, we forget what slavery looks like. And so in using their history to testify, God reminds them, first of all, of their deliverance from captivity. The Lord God says to them, he says, indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. A direct reference to Exodus chapter 12, verse 51, where it declares, on that same day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. The Lord brought them up. He, he delivered them from captivity. The Lord is using their history to testify. But not only deliverance from captivity, secondly, the Lord reminds them of their deliverance from curses. In Numbers chapter 22, verses 5 and 6, uh, a Balak son of Zippor was Moab's king at the time. He sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor at Pethor, which is by the Euphrates in the land of his people. Balak said to him, look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land and are living right across from me. Please come up and put a curse on these people. Deliverance from curses. See, oftentimes, the Lord has to remind us by his spirit what he has done for us. He reminds them. He reminds them the deliverance from cat captivity, the deliverance from curses. But then thirdly, he reminds them of their being delivered into enemy territory. That goes to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies, two men spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. Stop right there. So the Lord literally walks them through his history with them, their deliverance from captivity, their deliverance from curses, and them being delivered into enemy territory so that they could seize it. Y'all, I said it before. And I say it again, in our text, God has a problem with his people. And if you're checking with me, if you're following along with me, God calls the court to order. God calls the witnesses. Then God calls for testimony. Now, in our text, Micah responds on behalf of the people. Verse 6, Micah says, what? Should I bring before the Lord when, when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would, would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? In grand hyperbole, grand exaggeration, Micah communicates that no sacrifice is acceptable 
as long as hearts are out of order. And so in this text, the people of Israel are out of order. They're so out of order, they have become disconnected from fellowship with their father. They have begun to do the very things that were done to them. They had overlooked the blessings of God and the presence of God in their lives, and now they stand in judgment. So Micah uses hyperbole, says, there's really nothing you can offer in the form of sacrifice that can make you right with God. And to which I add, religious activity without eternal security is futile. Hmm, I think I just said something. Oh, offerings of sacrifice without the offering of our bodies for sacrifice is useless. Oh God, the blood of the lamb, not the blood of a ram, cleanses from sin. The Bible helps me to understand that there is nothing you can offer to God until you have first offered your heart. And so the people of Israel, they are, they are in between a rock and a hard place. And they have to, for the very first time in this series of moments, begin to examine their mistreatment of their God. But the prophet didn't finish. This pericope concludes with verse 8, our motto text for today. We made our way there. Hear the word of the Lord. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. I like the way the ESV puts it. I want to add a little bit to this. The ESV puts it in a different uh, tone. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. There it is, the good life. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Beloved, in this one verse, Micah reminds them and us what entails the good life. Reminds us how, how, how we can be sure that we do not get amnesia about the goodness of our God. It reminds us what is required in order for us to really experience the authentic good life. But please note. I got to give you the end before pressing through the beginning of this verse. See, catch this. Doing justice toward other people demands loving kindness, which necessitates walking humbly with our God. Doing justice towards other people demands loving kindness which necessitates walking humbly in fellowship with our God. It was Warren Wiersbe who, who, who helped me to kind of explore the, the full tenor and tone of what's taking place. He says, of course, we can't do justly unless we've been justified by faith. 
Beloved, there's some things that only we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit in order for them to have lasting impressions. Now, that doesn't abdicate those who don't know God, but let me tell you something. This word here is for the God folk. This word here is for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter your race. Doesn't matter where you come from. This word is for the body of Christ. He says to act justly. In other words, the first movement of our text as we move towards the good life is this. Look out for others. Oh, get that down. Get, get that down. Get that down. Look. Look out. Look out for others. I want to keep this as simple as I can. Look out for others. To do what is just, to do justice, is a broad term in our understanding. But it involves right and fair relationships, watch this, in the community. Hmm. So to act justly means you're willing to be an advocate for other people. To look out for others. And so to look out for others, church, means ah, to see other people. How often are we hindered from seeing other individuals because we are in our disillusioned state and we have this false belief that other folks are beneath us? I'm talking to the church. We have falsely concluded that some individuals are not even worth us seeing. So quite often we can't see because we don't want to see. But just in case I'm unclear, to look out for someone means to look out for the looked over. Oh God, I'm preaching up in here. It means to look out for the looked over. It was Dr. Martin Luther King who puts it this way. He said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Oh, thank you, Dr. King. So basically, Dr. King is saying, until you can live for other folk, you have yet to live. And if I can be honest, I've witnessed in my own life the tragic refusal of others to simply demonstrate empathy towards me and mine. We'll find excuses to overlook folk. They made a mistake. They committed a crime. They don't look like me. Beloved, what good is justice if it's easy? This is where God's people fail and still fall short. One writer has suggested he wanted them, God that is, to practice justice rather than continuing to plot and practice unfairness and injustice toward one another. So y'all, it requires us to see people as God made them, in his image, in his likeness. People shouldn't have to perform or jump through hoops of our preconceived notions just to experience justice, just to experience fairness, just to experience equity. Every man born of a woman is born in the image of God and demands to be treated justly. 
So, Pastor Brown, what about this grace and mercy and justice? Help me to understand it. Here's here something to help us unpack that. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Justice is getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. I'm feeling that by myself. I'm going to say that one more time. Come on, y'all. You ain't paying. Put that coffee down. Hear what I'm saying right now. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Justice is getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Beloved, we've got to look out for others. But the text is moving. The text is moving. It goes on to say to love faithfulness. Not only look out for others, but secondly, love God and others. Catch that, beloved. Love God and others. The doing of justice is an outpouring of loving faithfulness. In that eighth verse, that, that, that word love, mercy, or love, faithfulness comes from a root meaning loyal love. And to what an example it means to carry through on our commitments to meet the needs of others. Beloved, we must learn to love God and others. Love meaning sacrifice. Love meaning compassion. Love meaning going beyond our comfort zone to minister to other people, not expecting anything in return. So constant love here refers to Loyalty to the Lord, but it also implies kindness in dealing with other people. So the authentic heart of love loves kindness. It doesn't just do kindness. Oh, thank you, John Piper. Let me say that again. The, the authentic heart of love loves kindness. It doesn't just do kindness. So Jesus helps me by teaching us what greatness looks like. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, Jesus is approached by some men trying to test him. And so they're, they're trying to trap him. So they ask him, listen, what are, these, what are the greatest commandments? And Lord Jesus, understanding and perceiving what they're up to, he said, check, check this out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop right there. See, Jesus is teaching us what real greatness is, what real goodness is. And he is teaching us that it is found in an overflowing love for God and his creation. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. It was Stevie Wonder who coined that wonderful song, Love's in Need of Love Today. He said, when I look around, all I'm seeing is hate. Love needs love. So let me help you understand this principle about the neighbor, uh, because oftentimes we, we look at that more geographically than we need to. Your neighbor doesn't have to live in your neighborhood. <laughs> Your neighbor is your neighbor 
and that is anyone who doesn't live in your house. Oh, beloved, I'm feeling this by myself. So it really doesn't matter what their zip code is. What matters is this. They were created in the image of God, and you have been commanded by the Lord God himself that you ought love them in the same manner that you love yourself. How do you love yourself? You take care of yourself. You do for yourself. You provide for yourself. And so here we got to pause because of the, the misnomer that justice somehow means taking from the rich and giving to the poor. Let me let me let you know. We're not advocating uh, I believe it is a Robin Hood theology. Justice is not some piece of the pie so that when you get yours there's none left. It is an overflowing river of love and mercy and faithfulness. It cannot run out. As a matter of fact, I submit to you that the more we demonstrate and use it, the more of it it will be. Love faithfulness. Love kindness. Love mercy. So it's been told of a mother who sought from Napoleon the pardon of her son. The emperor Napoleon said, that it was this man's second offense, and justice demanded his death. I don't ask for justice, said the mother. I plead for mercy. But, said the emperor, he does not deserve mercy. Sir, cried the mother, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask. Well, said the emperor, I will show him mercy. And her son was saved. Beloved, I'm here to let you know that if you desire to live the good life, you better learn how to love. I'm finished, but before I take my seat, let's review. If you want to live the good life, text says, act justly. Look out for others. Look out for the looked over. The text says, love faithfulness. Second movement, love God and others. And finally, walk humbly with your God. Here's the third movement. Live to honor God. Get that down. Live to honor God, act justly, love faithfulness, walk humbly. The final principle is to live to honor God, not insisting on one's own way, but readily doing what God wants. But that's not all. There is also the sense of experiencing fellowship with the Lord in the process. See, a life that honors God cannot and will not get the big head. And y'all, I know I got a big head, but we're not talking about that kind of big head. We're talking about the internal big head because of the realization of who we are in God will help us to maintain the proper perspective. But oftentimes, child of God, we get full of ourselves and we get ahead of God. So to live, to honor God, 
shows how we align our lives with God as we move forward in unity and humility. We literally get to share in fellowship with God himself. I told you a few minutes ago that doing justice toward other people demands loving kindness, which necessitates walking humbly in fellowship with God. That's it, I'm finished. Just three simple principles from this passage that we ought to look out for others. Look out for the looked over. That we ought to love God and others. But then thirdly, that we ought to, I keep forgetting that last one, live to honor God. And we ought to do that in a spirit of humility, understanding who God is and what God has called us to do with our lives. There's a story told of two brothers who grew up on a farm. One went away to college, earned a law degree, and became a partner in a very prominent law firm. The other stayed at home with the family farm. One day the lawyer came home to visit the family and shared with his brother, the farmer, and he asked, why don't you go out and make a name for yourself, says the lawyer, so that you can hold your head up high in the world like I do. So the brother who's the farmer pointed and said, you see that field of wheat over there? Look at it real closely. Only the empty heads stand up. Mm. Those that are filled well always bow low. In other words, the branch that bears the most fruit is bent the lowest to the ground and by demonstrating authentic humility. And as we close this out, I need you to understand that it's easy for us to get the big head, when we're even doing justice work, when we're out there serving in the communities, when we're making a difference, when we're fighting for unity. But just like the farmer in this text has declared, we have to watch it because only the empty heads stand straight up. I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ that says he emptied himself of who he was. Watch this. Demonstrating humility to the point of death on the cross. Now, if Jesus can demonstrate humility, I know that we can as well. Look out for others. Love God and others. Live to honor him. Heads about and eyes are closed. Father, we thank you so much for this tremendous opportunity to share your word. Father, we are completely at your mercy. Father, I pray that you would arrest us right where we are. That we would not get amnesia like the people of Israel did. But that as people of faith, we would remember how you set us free. And the reminder therein would dictate how we live our lives. Father, you don't want religious activity without authentic relationship. So, Father, I pray in faith you'd renew our hearts and minds, that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and in so doing, find peace and purpose. Father, I'm asking you right now for unity. Lord, division is commonplace. 
from church to church, race to race. And Father, I simply ask in faith that you draw us together. Now, Father, you can draw us together without drawing us to you. And Lord, we don't want the superficial fakeness, but the authentic transformation. So, Father, I pray right now that you'd help all of us to see ourselves, especially in this passage, where we literally miss the mark. Father, give us a desire fight for justice give us a desire to love faithfulness give us the desire to walk humbly with you may you be praised and glorified is our prayer in the name of Jesus we pray amen and praise God Come on, give God a little praise right where you are. Come on, right where you are. Put those hands together. Hallelujah. This is the good life, and I desire that for you as pastor. But check this out. There is no good life without a God life. There is no good life without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned to you earlier, we can't even experience a lot that takes place in, in this passage without a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you right now in a very loving and compassionate way. As much compassion as I can muster through a television or through a computer screen. Let me tell you something. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But you cannot know and experience that plan because we are sinful and separated from God. The Word of God says that all of us have sinned and fallen short. And all sin means is to miss the mark. We fall short. We just don't do right. It's our nature. The Scripture also affirms that Jesus Christ is God's only provision for sin. Jesus paid it all. He paid the sin debt. He died the death that we should have died. The last principle is we can individually receive this grace gift of salvation made available through Jesus Christ. You can't work your way into salvation. You can't earn it. As a matter of fact, if you could work for it, it wouldn't be worth anything. It's a grace gift. That being so, so that no one can boast, so that no one can get the big head that I saved myself. No, you can't save yourself. God demonstrates his love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If that speaks to where you are spiritually, I simply want to offer another word of prayer. And I want to invite you to text us your name, who you are, to the number that's on the screen. Now, I can never remember that number. I turned 50 this year. Or was it last year? I can't even remember that. That's, that's how bad it is. But I want to invite you to send us a message. I'm going to pray. And here is a prayer. Listen, I prayed this prayer, beloved, 35 or more years ago. And it's transformed my life. Here it is. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. According to your word, I am now saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you just repeated after me, that's perfect. God is not concerned about the words. He's concerned about the attitude of your heart. And if you say, well, Pastor, I didn't quite catch it. I want to, I need a follow-up. Please just shoot us a text message. We, we're waiting right now just to interact with you. And we will walk you through that. We will uh, uh, help you to become a member of our church. There's just so many more things that we desire to serve you with. But we can't serve you if you don't contact us. So take that moment now and let's do it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm waiting for you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Send that message. The number's there. Man.